So, John, before we kick off, a little announcement. Kilconomics tickets are on sale from Friday, general release. But before that, I've just finished Naomi Klein's book, Doppelganger, A Trip Into the Mirror World. And I can tell you, as a book that captures what's going on in the world, the intersection of media, online, misinformation, politics, economics, demography, it's absolutely amazing. It really is amazing. So that's myself and Naomi Klein in the RDS next Friday week. Tickets at kilconomics.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast. I hope all is well. I am in London. John is in Dublin. We were just marvelling at the two profoundly different climatic. Oh. I mean, London's, it's roasting. I was in a <laughs> It's been Park, raining yes. for three days here, nonstop. I, I heard, I heard, you know, I tell you, no, no, I know, don't worry, I'm, I'm in constant communication with the homeland. But no, I was, I was in Hyde Park yesterday morning, John, at about 10 o'clock, having a coffee, right? One of those little, those little cafes beside Lancaster Gate. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah and lovely. it was roasting, 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 roasting. And all I had was incoming on the family WhatsApp group of piss and rain, it's windy, it's awful, et cetera, et cetera. And Were you, you on your rollerblades? I was, John... Did you tell, tell that great joke? What's the most difficult thing about rollerblades? Don't know. Telling your ma you're gay. <laughs> so you were rollerblading around Hyde Park. You don't actually notice, John. <laughs> I was sitting there having my coffee and I was reading actually Naomi Klein's Doppelganger because I'm interviewing oh, yeah. her in, in next week. And I was, I was reading it and I was just sitting away and I was noticing dogs, fancy dogs and very, very well-heeled men and women with their fancy dogs kind of post Pilates, post yoga, about <laughs> half eight in the morning. And I was thinking, we're missing a trick, John. Either we need to get fancy dogs or we need to start doing Pilates, early doors, <laughs> like a downward dog, upward dog, the whole, you know, yeah. Ashtanga yoga stuff. Yeah. And I was just looking there. I kind of I've felt got like, scruffy I see, dogs. Scruffy dogs. Dogs on ropes is what we need. There was no dogs on ropes. There were no <laughs> ropes, no crusties. Anyway, so John, this week, what I want to talk about is a conflict at the heart of European policymaking which is the following. The central bank and Irish mortgage holders and mortgage holders listening to this around the world, particularly if you're in this neck of the woods, this part of the world, will know interest rates have increased 10 times in the last two years. And the question then is, why is this the case when the European economy is unbelievably weak? 
So I want to talk about interest rates. I want to talk about conflicts at the heart of the European system. And I want to talk about where it leads us and where it's all going to lead us. So that's what we're talking about because the ECB increased interest rates again in the last couple of days. Do you know what, Mark? Just before we start, I was listening to Christine Lagarde, your mate. Of course she you were. chatting away about uh, interest rates and whatnot. But she kept going on about, and maybe this is something I, I should know, but I don't. So I'm going to ask you. She was going on about the interest rate has risen over the last few years by 25 basis points. What exactly is a basis point? Very good question. Very good question. Okay. So for the vast majority of people, John, the interest rate is 1% or 2% or 3%. Yeah, we can get yeah, yeah. yeah, I understand that bit. But if you're trading currencies in large, large volumes, or if you're trading anything in large, large volumes, which are based on moving money around, right? Mm. Fractions of interest rates, fractions of a percentage points of interest rates make a massive difference. Because yeah. if the difference between, let's say, a deposit in dollars and a deposit in euros is one quarter of one percent. Yeah. If you are trading tens of millions of dollars, that amounts to a huge amount of money. So right. in order yeah. in order for the financial markets to actually talk about interest rates in a way that was meaningful for them, they had to break down one percent interest rates into one hundredths of one percent. Okay. So for example, fifty basis points is a half of one percent. 25 basis points is a quarter of 1%. Right. 10 basis points is a tenth of 1%, right? And this all stems from the fact that something called the repo market is the core of the interest rate market, which is what's called the sale and repurchase rate between bonds and money. I know it's a bit complicated, but right. just take, yeah. but just yeah. get into your head that when you and I are talking about interest rates or anybody listening to the show who's basically worried about their mortgage or their deposit rates or their overdraft, it's a 1% or 2% means something to us, right? Yeah. Because we're not dealing in massively large volumes. But if you're dealing in massively, massively large volumes, what you will have is a concern about fractional increases or decreases in interest rates. Right, okay. And as a result of that, the financial markets have come up with a whole new set of mini interest rates which are half of 1% is 50 basis points. A tenth of 1% is 10 basis points. So so a basis point is 0.01%. Yeah, it's one hundredth of, a, exactly, 0.01%. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, okay. That's what that, has cleared, that has cleared up so much for me. Well, I mean, okay. it's, it's all to do, John, with the bullshit lexicon of finance. Which, that's vast, that lexicon. It is only, it is only bested by the lexicon of rugby. Okay, <laughs> right? Absolutely. In terms of complexity, right? Of terms of actually talking about something very basic, like the fella caught the ball and he threw it to the other fella. Yeah. Oh, soft hands. No, no, no. That's just an ability, right? So, so it's the same thing in finance. So I remember when I first started years ago in the central bank and then went to investment banking, the most intimidating thing wasn't actually getting to grips with what was going on on the trading floor. It was to get to grips with the language. And the actually language, notice, yeah. you notice in every cult or every community that finds itself exclusive, what we do is we change language. This is why slang yeah. is so interesting. So yeah. basically... Basis points, this is just the slang of finance. Right, okay, yeah. Like, so if you go into, you know, Cockney rhyming, rhyming slang, what was it about? It was actually about excluding others, yeah. right? 
it was, say, the Cockneys would talk to each other, they'd exclude. If you go to the kids in, you know, any sort of ghetto language, the beginning of hip-hop language, all this, it's all about we are an exclusive gang and we communicate in a different way. Finances is exactly the same. Yeah. It's just the slang or the argo, as the French would say, of the, of, of the gang. Almost every industry has their own. Like, like the, the audio industry, as it's saying, the music industry, the tech bros, they're, they're the, the worst. The marketing industry was famous for exactly. it in, in, the, in the 90s. But, come here, but, it's just, but it's also every, but even, not even the industry, every tribe has its own slang. Yeah. That's yeah. the interesting thing. And it's a, it's, a, it's a form of inclusion. So but if you speak the argo, if you speak the slang, you're part of the gang. If you yeah. don't speak the slang, you're not part of the gang. And when I went into banking, and not so much banking, but it was kind of trading first, what you had to learn is you had to learn the slang. So yeah. if you were in a meeting and you weren't kind of dropping all these sort of in words and in descriptions and basis points being one of them, then you weren't part of the gang. And that's what's oh. happened. And of course, it's drip fed in a, in a bit like in the way in which hip hop has been appropriated by white people, John. <laughs> market slang, financial market slang has drip fed into yeah. normal. I'm appropriating uh, as, financial no, but exactly, slang. As, as, as the world has become more financialized, as the world has been more commercialized, financialized, in fact, as monetary economics has seeped into society, the slang of monetary economics has seeped in. But, but that's, that's a confusing that's thing. A, but that's a good thing, though, because it's important for us to understand the bullshit that we hear from yeah. uh, Lagarde and, and this, you know, uh, Lane the, the pod- and all those guys. You know, we need to understand that. But this is part of the job of the podcast. Yes. It's to actually explain the slang to the average dude. So, okay, just to get back to Christine Lagarde then and what she's banging on about when she was raising the interest rates. By her basis points. Uh, and her basis points. You know, as the interest rate rose, the currency fell. And that's not supposed to happen, is it? And you've put your finger on something which actually goes to the root of the conflict at the heart of economic policymaking in Europe. So let's talk about that. Right, yeah, okay. So basically, when the rate of interest rises on a currency, the return to that currency increases, right? So if the rate of interest on the euro is 4% this year, and it was 2% last year, you're getting 4% return by putting money on deposits in euro. So money should flow into the euro to avail of that higher rate of interest. That is what the theory says. And in most cases, that's what happens. Mm. The reason the euro, and this is absolutely crucial, and this shows you why Christine Lagarde is not a very clever economic thinker. Yeah. So what the markets are saying to Christine Lagarde, when the ECB increased interest rates last Friday, what should have happened is the euro should have gone up. But it actually went down. It went from about $1.12. Okay, so that's one euro equals $1.12 last yeah. year to about one euro is $1.7, 0.7. Yeah. So what is actually happening is the following. What the markets are telling Christine Lagarde and the ECB is they are over-tightening. Okay, and I'll explain this idea, right? At the Turning moment- Turning the Europe- screw- Well, the point is the European economy is forecast to grow at 0.8% next year. Hardly at all. The United Hmm. States economy is growing 4 or 5%, okay? So if you raise interest rates when the economy is on its knees, it is not credible. And why it's not credible is the markets are saying, well, you're going to have to reverse these rate increases quite soon because the economy is far, far too weak. So what you have is a bizarre situation where the ECB 
been central bankers whose only mandate now you just this, this is the difference between the Fed and the ECB. Yeah. The Fed has two mandates, a dual mandate, which is one is to look after the economy and two bring down the rate of inflation. So it's always trying to balance these two imperatives, right? And the, the ECB is what then? The ECB is only one mandate, which is to bring the rate of inflation to 2%. Can I just stop you there? Why? Because historically the ECB comes out of the Bundesbank DNA. And the yeah. Bundesbank DNA was this thing called Ordo Economics, which is this German idea that central banking should only involve itself with inflation and not be meddled with or meddled in affairs of the state. And affairs of the state, according to the Germans, are worrying about things like the rate of unemployment, the budget deficit, all these sort of things. And it also comes from the fact that, for example, the Italians had very high levels of inflation in the past, as too did the French, less so the French in the 70s, the French, but the Italians. So what it's trying to do is it's trying to isolate the central bank with one mandate. But the problem is getting inflation down to 2%. When your inflation was 10% last year in Europe, it's now about 5.6%. Getting it down to 2% requires a tightening of the economy, a squeezing of the economy. It's what Lloyd George in the 1918 general election, John, said that they would apply so much pressure to Germany, they would squeeze it until the pips squeaked. That's what they <laughs> said about Germany, right? So imagine that's Lloyd George. This is what is, Lagarde is, is trying to is, do. Is that where a little pipsqueak comes from? Yes. Right, okay. So that's Lloyd George said that in the 1918 election, after the First World War, when they were saying, what are you going to do in reparations? And he said, we're going to squeeze the Germans so much until the pip squeaks, right? And of course, wow. the Brits love that. So Christine Lagarde is doing something similar. Now, of course, the markets are saying, there's no way in which you can squeeze these economies any further. And what's going to happen the is pips these... have squeaked. Exactly. So these interest rate rises are going to be reversed, which is why... The currency market is actually selling the euro. I think fair value to the euro is below the dollar. I think given the growth rate of the European economy, I think the euro has to fall at least another 10 or 15% in order for the European economy to actually export its way to growth. Now, the reason it's not exporting its way to growth is first, the biggest client of Germany, which is the biggest country, is China. Yeah. Chinese growth has stopped. Therefore, German manufacturing has stopped. Uh, when I say stop, it's actually regressed dramatically, right? Yeah. There's very little domestic demand in the European economy. Why? Because Europeans are old and we are savers. So there's no impact. And there's a cost of demand. living crisis going on as well. And there is this squeeze on income. So yeah. basically, wages are rising at about 2 or 3%. Inflation is 5%. That means your real income is falling at 3%. And then there's one last thing, John, I want to tell you about Europe, right? And it's a following one and it's a bizarre thing. But listen to me. COVID saved the Eurozone. Okay. Go on. If it wasn't for COVID, there would be a European bond crisis right now. And here is the story, and it's a bit of a gem, right? So the last European bond crisis, which happened around 2011, 12, 13, around then, when Irish bond prices went at 10%, Italians went at 13%, etc. What was happening was the following. When the Euro started, the Germans had this plan. And the plan was that we'd all turn into little Germans, right? Once yeah. we got their money. So yeah. the Italians, the Irish, the Greeks, the Spaniards, we'd all behave like Germans. We should yeah. save a lot. We wouldn't spend. And wear lederhosen. 
Exactly. We're later hosting. And of course, you know, when you talk about plans, you mentioned the musings of Mike Tyson on plans that everybody has a plan till they get a punch in the face. Yes. Right? And the punch in the face the Germans got was we didn't turn into little Germans. In fact, we became dementedly more amplified versions of ourselves with this German money. And right. then when we all, when it all stopped, all the peripheral countries started to default against German banks. And therefore, the German government and the ECB and the European Commission had to come in to bail out the German banks. Right. So imagine that's happening, right? This time it's different. What has happened since COVID is the following. The ECB has replaced the German banks as the buyer of last resort of all bonds. So during COVID, what happened was when the pandemic struck, everybody said, you got to, all got to stay at home. That yeah. means governments have to borrow. Governments have to borrow loads and loads. Who are they going to borrow from? They borrowed from the ECB. So the ECB went out and it bought all the bonds of Italy, Spain, Ireland, whatever. Okay. And it put yeah. it all into a big skip. So what has actually happened is COVID has, in a way, if you think about mutating genes, the genes of the ECB have mutated away from having been purely Germanic at the start. We'll never touch anything to now being purely Italian, right? So what has happened <laughs> is, if it hadn't been for COVID, there yeah. would now be a massive Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and Greek bond crisis. But what has happened during COVID is the ECB has used COVID as a cover to buy all these bonds, stick yeah. them into what I would call a skip, and not worry about them. And why can the ECB do that? Because the ECB prints the fucking money. Right? Yeah, when you print yeah. the money, you can do whatever you want. And this is what lots of people don't understand. A central bank doesn't have a balance sheet like a commercial bank. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just yeah. prints the stuff. And so, so what is happening is the reason we are now in this weird situation where the euro is falling, whereas euro interest rates are rising, where the European economy is growing at about a fifth of the pace of the United States economy, where budget deficits in Europe are still quite substantial, where debt-GDP ratios are still quite substantial. How can that all be squared? Because the central bank has turned into the buyer of last resort. And this is why all these complications and inconsistencies are emerging at the core of monetary policy in Europe. I mean, there is a significant chance that Philip Lane, the chief economist of the yeah. European Central Bank, Irish guy, yeah. will go down in history, or history will not judge him particularly well, because this all could blow apart at a certain stage. There's so many inconsistent things happening, right? And the key point to all of this is that the where you see the over-tightening manifest itself the only price that is still flexible and still moving and not managed as much as the other prices is the exchange rate. And that's where you're seeing all the evidence. I always say, look to a country's exchange rate and you can see its economic soul. Remember what De Valera Ooh. said? Remember what De Valera <laughs> said? I look into my heart and I see what the Irish people want and need. I've always said, and I always said this when I was working in banking, look to the exchange rate and look through the exchange rate. And in the exchange rate, there's so much information in that price that you can see the soul of the economy through the exchange rate. And what we're seeing is we're seeing the soul of the European economy through the ECB dollar rate. And what we're seeing is an economy that is much, much weaker. And at the same time, we have central bankers in Frankfurt who understand this but don't want to admit this, and they are raising interest rates. Why? Because they are hamstrung 
by a 2% inflation target. Now, the question then, John, is why are we obsessed with 2%? Why isn't well, inflation exactly, yeah. 4%? And yeah. this goes to the root of what many people would say. The reason we are wedded to 2% is the following, which is that at least at 2%, what they call the 2% inflation, this is getting into monetary theory and whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, is yeah. That's, that's the anchor, okay? That's the anchor around which the economy is based, right? Now, if you move from 2 to 4%, what you're doing is you're sending a signal to everybody that your inflation target is a movable feast. Now, what economic theory says is then that will be then given as a signal to everyone, whether you're trade unions, whether you're employers, whether you're corporates, whether you're, let's just push up prices because now the central bank has given up the fight. Yeah. So what most people would say is, let's see, inflation has come from 10% to 5% in Europe, right? Let's see how it goes. But it would have seemed to me that the best policy then is to do nothing. If inflation is coming down gradually, just do nothing. Yeah. But this goes now to the core of why I think Lagarde is a fraud, right? Which is fraudulent people always want to be busy. Right, yeah, yeah. As a general rule, you know, if you see the fella in who's working with you is always pretending they're busy, they're not busy. Yeah. The key to security, I always think, in your business is, you know, saying, I'm going to go away for three weeks, right? I'm going to do nothing. Or how do you think things are going? They're grand. Let's not just touch everything. Let's see how everything goes, right? Fraudulent people are always pretending they're like busy bees, right? And that's why I think they are moving now. They should have just waited for a while, see what happens. But they want to be seen to be top dogs, the ECB. And so now they're unnecessarily increasing interest rates against the background of a weak economy, against the background of COVID having changed things, against the background of the fact that the European economy is probably as weak as it's been for a long, long time. But they're caught in a dilemma. So what's the upshot of this then? Where, where does the European economy go? Like, if inflation is still above the 2%, which it is. Yeah, it's twice yeah. the target. And if last week's interest rate hike hasn't really worked because it has, has weakened the currency. Yeah. Surely that's the end of being able to use that tool. You can't raise interest rates anymore. So so well, what happens from you here out? You should be able to. So I think what is happening is that rather than settling, saying, okay, hold on. The inflation shock was an energy shock largely coming from Russia, number one. Mm. It was also a supply shock after the pandemic when supply chains that hadn't been used for four, for let's say two and a half years, suddenly there was demand for everything. Therefore, increases in the cost of transport, increases in the cost of trade, increases in the cost of this, that, and the other, right? So these all take time to wash out of the system. If your analysis is clear-headed and you say, okay, that is the problem, then what you should say is time will solve these problems. We can go and explain to people, hold on a second, we have this weird post-COVID, post-Ukraine inflation which is coming through in commodity prices in particular and some consumer prices, and that will ease off gradually. So we are happy to do nothing and just let the economy rebalance. But that would seem to me clear thinking in economics, right? Yeah. But what we have is a situation where rather than clear thinking, they're jittery, they're nervous. And that suggests to me some intellectual insecurity at the very, very top of the chain. Think about it. If the European economy is only growing by less than 1%, there is no inflation, 
right? There's no domestic incipient inflation because demand is so weak. So what you just have to wait is for inflation to actually go through the motions. But hang on a second, Mark. If, if you have uh, full employment... We have full employment. Yeah, and there's pressure on wage increases. So does that not feed into the inflation? Well, if you look at wages in Europe, they're not rising particularly dramatically. In fact, in fact, on this issue of inflation at Kilconomics, the tickets will be out on sale next Friday, John. Not this Friday, next Friday. Okay. Isabella Weber is coming from Germany. And she has identified what she calls greed inflation or suppliers inflation, which is what has happened in Europe is as the rate of inflation rose, corporations are taking advantage of that and jacking up prices, right? So where most of the inflation in Europe is coming from, or a significant amount is coming from corporations jacking up prices rather than coming from wages, right? And what we're seeing now in Europe is that demand is so weak that it's highly unlikely that inflation is going to come from the domestic economy. And then you think, okay, why not just wait until energy prices come right down and that shock feeds through the economy until the COVID impact of increasing prices, particularly in traded goods, comes through the economy and just rest. But they haven't done that. And the markets, to come back to your original question, John, the markets have looked at all the data They've looked at all the evidence and what they've actually said is, hold on a second, these guys don't know what they're doing. And rather than buy the euro on the back of increased interest rates, they're doing the opposite. They're selling the euro because they know that very soon European interest rates, a bit like your man, who who, who was the grand old Duke of York? He drove his troops up the hill and drove them back down again. Yeah, yeah. This is the, the, the ECB is the grand old Duke of York of central banks, right? They're going to raise interest rates really, really rapidly. 10 interest rate rises in two years, and they'll be back down very soon. Why? Because the economy cannot sustain this level of interest rates. And you see it in Ireland in the mortgage market. Already, you're seeing lots and lots of people coming under huge pressure in the mortgage market. And the bank's getting more profits as yes, the Yes, the bank's go. getting more profits. But if Irish people can't sustain it in an economy that's going to 4 or 5%, think about what it's like to be in Portugal. Remember, we spoke to Pedro in Portugal. Yeah. He said, look, we haven't, the economy, wages haven't grown since 2008. We spoke to the Italians the same thing. We spoke to the French. Those economies, however much interest rates are hitting us in the high growth part of the Eurozone, can you imagine what they're doing in the low growth part of the Eurozone, which is all the Mediterranean countries, which are the problem, which have always been the problem. And again, if it wasn't for COVID, John, the blessing of COVID is that it averted a European bond crisis and maybe averted it for good. But what it has done is changed the essential the essential, I use that expression too many, the, the essential DNA of the ECB. Yeah. And, and that has changed. And that's why Lagarde seems like a fraud because she doesn't seem to be able to articulate all these things. And that's her job. Is the game up for her, do you think? Well, she's a lawyer masquerading as an economist. That never works well. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the one thing we do know about lawyers is there's nothing they don't know. Well, that's true. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I mean, I've sat with lawyers talking about monetary economics and sometimes I sit them at the end of the night and I said, I'd never discuss constitutional law with you or corporate yeah. law or commercial law or, you know, tort or jurisprudence. Why do you feel entitled to talk to me about... Yeah, you know, I, I know exactly what you mean. You know, the, so that's the Especially deal, when you start talking rugby. <laughs> well, I'm here. That's okay. for another take. Okay. But come here, I want to ask you one last question about the bonds and the skip and all that after this. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, Mac, I get all that about the central bank, the interest rates and the currency and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But what I'm not clear on is just going back to what you said earlier about the ECB going around and buying up all the bonds from Italy and Ireland and blah, 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 and sticking them into a skip. Where is that skip? <laughs> Where's the skip? What's Where's the skip? Bonds? The skip. Okay, for American listeners, a skip is an Irish expression for a dumpster. So what I'm imagining is a dumpster. Is This is what I would call it's a cash for trash scheme, John. Right, okay. So basically what you have is the state issues IOUs, and that is how the state finances itself. So if the Irish government or the Italian government wants to build a big motorway complex, They'd say, okay, this is going to cost 10 billion euros. Where are we going to get the 10 billion euros? They'd say, well, we'll get half of it from taxation, right? Yeah. But we'll get another half from borrowing. So how it borrows is it goes out to the market and it issues these IOUs, which are usually 10-year or maybe in an extreme case in the United States, 30-year government debt. And it gives those out to investors, right? Pension funds in particular. So if you take out, for example, a pension in Ireland, right? Let's say in our case, we're going to be retiring about 30 weeks, but most people would say 30 years, right? If you're a young fella, right? Or a young one, yeah. 30 years, right? So therefore, the <laughs> pension fund takes in money every month, right? You pay in, let's say, 50 euros or 100 euros every single month, right? Yeah. That is a short-term liability for the pension fund, right? That is money that they owe you at some yeah. stage. Now, in order to convert that liability into an asset, they have to buy something that has a 30-year maturity, right? And the reason they buy for a 30-year maturity is because they've got to pay you back in 30 years. Yeah. So what is knocking around that's a 30-year maturity? Well, long, long-term government bonds. So maybe they'll buy 10-year bonds or 20-year bonds or 30-year bonds. So suddenly, they've converted your 50 euro a month into a pool of savings. They've then bought a 10-year government bond, which is a rate of interest rate of, let's say, 4%. So yeah. they can say, okay, great. I can give back John Davis 4% in 30 years' time because this asset is yielding 4%. It'll come to maturity. I can give John back his money and 4% compounded interest rates over 30 years, which hopefully is a lot of money. That's the basic actuarial model of the insurance business, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's that. But let's just say insurance companies don't particularly want to buy the bonds, 
And the reason they don't want to buy the bonds is bonds are what they're called fixed interest rate instruments, which means that the actual interest rate you get is fixed and the price of the bond fluctuates. So it could be 90, it could be 100, it could be 80, depending yeah, on yeah. the default profile of that bond. Ooh, so let's say you take profile. It, you're getting all lexicon on me now again. Okay, no, depends. Okay, so you're absolutely right. depending on the chances of the fucker not paying you back. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. I understand that now. Yeah. Okay. So the fucker in question is the Italian government. Okay. Let's just get to the chase, right? Yeah. So what are the chances of Giuseppe not paying you back? Right. The chances of Giuseppe not paying you back increase profoundly as the Italian economy doesn't operate. As the Italian budget deficit increases, why? Because the more budget deficit, the more bonds have to be increased. The greater the supply of bonds, the more bonds Giuseppe has got to pay back. So at a certain stage, the market, which is this, we're talking about our insurance companies, our banks, all those things, say, mm, I'm not too sure about Giuseppe. You say, okay, fair enough. Who else can buy those bonds? Then there's a thing called the lender of last resort. The lender of last resort is the central bank. That's the central bank's job. Right. So the central bank, imagine now, doesn't have, you see that kind of complicated balance sheet of the money comes of the pension fund from the punter, it has to be given enough an asset, it has to play this, and they have to go long maturity. Yep, yep. Central bank doesn't have to do any of that shit because it prints money. So all it does is it says to the Italian government, we'll buy all your bonds. You promise to pay us back. We don't have a balance sheet. We don't have any particular reason to worry about paying back money. Why? Because we print the stuff. Yeah. So the beauty of central banking is central banking makes up money. That's what it's all about. This is this is where the crypto bros and the Bitcoin bros go mad because they can't understand the essential alchemy of fiat money is you make the shit up. And as long as everybody believes, I mean, I always put it, I always say it's like the tabernacle in Catholicism. Right? Yeah. <laughs> as long as you believe that when the priest goes the hocus pocus over the tabernacle and yeah. says, you see this host, this is actually the body of Christ. And as long as the congregation says, great, I believe you, yeah, give us communion, yeah. the whole game is grand. Nobody freaks out. Okay, It's only when people stop believing that the host is actually a little piece of bread and not the body of Christ that people start to worry about religion. Yeah. So for thousands of years, everybody believed it. So it was fine, right? Central banking is the same. As long as you believe that central bankers can go a little bit of hocus pocus, make up the money and the money is worth something, then they can continue doing this trick for years and years and years. Now, the Bitcoin people and the sort of Armageddonists and these sort of people on one side say, it's only a matter of time before the world wakes up and sees that this is like the Wizard of Oz, it's a fraud, yeah, yeah. there's nothing there, right? Or the Hocus Pocus priest, right? So imagine Christine Lagarde is like a Hocus Pocus priest, right? She's a high priestess. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and Philip Lane is a shaman. He's a fucking, you know, he's a shaman sitting on the side, making up these prayers, right? Yeah. And they're just making stuff up. But as long as people believe it. Now, why should people not believe it? Hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is what destroys the credibility of the hocus pocus. That is why the inflation rate of 2% is absolutely essential to them. Because that is the key to convincing the congregation that the body and blood of Christ is in the host to convincing the congregation that the central bank is in control. And that's why the 2% thing is sacrosanct to them. But that brings us into this entire new, and it is like a quasi-religious experience, economics, right? 
into, do you believe the creed? Now, what is the creed? I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. What's the economic creed? It's, I believe the rate of inflation at 2% is actually the sacrosanct. <laughs> it's the same shit, John. <laughs> Bless you, my son. I'll see you at Mass. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.